I'm Derek Wheatley and welcome to episode 165 of the Weekly Weekly Podcast. Thank you very much for listening to me last week. Um, sometimes I like to put in those little solo episodes just to like catch up and, uh, you know, a little stopgap for me as well. Um, Because uh, there's a certain amount of anxiety talking to people that you don't know. And it's nice just to waffle on for like 50 minutes into a microphone sometimes. Um, I also want to say there's a that you can support us uh, buy me a coffee thing. It's in uh, there's a link in the subscription somewhere. Uh, you will find it. Never feel obliged. Um, uh, our guest this week is a positive advocate for a sober life, and her name is Sophie Gardner. How are you doing, Sophie? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much for coming on. It's uh, it's typically Irish weather out there today. Um, I don't know how it is over with you. Um, spring's meant to be coming, but it's grey. Spring is, yeah, it, it's, I don't know. It's been a very long winter. I don't know if people say that every year or not, but it seems this year in particular is quite a long one. It does feel like it, but the lighter days are coming. Yeah, and that always helps people, particularly people who maybe, well, people do thrive on that kind of thing. I think that a lot of people have, uh, you know, their mental health can suffer in the dark, you know, nights and darker mornings and stuff. So I think that's always like nice to, for people to see those you know those uh stretch in the evening and stuff like that um sophie we always start at the beginning uh could you give us a short history of your upbringing please yeah of course so i grew up in a little village in the south of england i went to the local village school and then the local secondary school and on to bristol um, uwe for university but my upbringing was like quote unquote standard um <laughs> three brothers parents together parents still together all got quite a nice relationship with each other. Um, I definitely, I would say, struggled at school. Um, but now on reflection can see that. Like I definitely did in the, in the moment as well, but mm-hmm. really did struggle at school, primary and secondary with bullying, feeling weird. Um, been diagnosed with ADHD last year. So that makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. for a lot of my upbringing now. Um, but fairly standard upbringing, I would say. Um, nothing too traumatic. Lots of we call little T trauma. Yeah, <laughs> like I say, with like bullying and things like that. But my um my upbringing was was pretty normal. It's it's one of those things I've noticed uh, recently, and and it's a, it's brilliant to see that people are being diagnosed with. Not that it's brilliant, but you know, but that no, yeah. looking back, um, and maybe they didn't quite understand who they were then and why they were, you know, the way they were, you, you, how they reacted to things and like being diagnosed with something. What was it that led you to get, you know, kind of find a diagnosis? I am, I'm probably autistic as well. I mean, yeah. Dan, I had a, I had the test for both, but they said that ADHD is so prevalent that they can't diagnose me with autism, but they also can't oh. not diagnose me. I have traits, right. but it's the ADHD that's there. Um, so my little boy is autistic and we got his diagnosis or we started to look into it a couple of years ago and I resonated with a lot of the symptoms. So I started taking the online tests and things were coming out 50, 50 autistic. 90% ADHD. And I was like, right. ADHD? What? So I Googled it and looking up ADHD and women and the symptoms. And I was like, this is me. Oh my God. Oh. It suddenly just like all my whole life just made sense. So I've had numerous, I guess, mental health struggles over the years. Um, and always thought, oh, okay, it's because I've got depression. Oh, okay, it's because I've been diagnosed with anxiety disorder. Oh, okay, I've got PTSD, whatever it is. But now, actually, it all forms under this nice little umbrella of ADHD. Um, so it, for me, made a lot of sense. But yeah, my son being diagnosed led me down the diagnosis route as well. Um, and it's been, yeah, transformational, I'd say. Oh, yeah. And we, we had someone on, you know, it was only a few episodes ago that was recently diagnosed um, as autistic because 
it was similar to you who said that their their son was diagnosed as autistic and they wondered if the similar traits were because of that and it led down that route. And, you know, I guess it's something quite, um, I don't know if it's something liberating for you to, to, to realise that. And like we're going to talk about today, getting yeah. sober. I've been sober for nearly four years now and I realised, oh my God, my brain is so loud. Like I was drowning it out before with alcohol. So I didn't really, I just thought it was a bit chaotic, but actually mm-hmm. my brain is so loud. It doesn't stop talking all the time. There's always a song in my head on replay. There's always someone talking to me in my head. And um, I just, I've resonated so much with like the ADHD Instagram accounts. And yeah, it it was a long time coming, I think. Um, but getting sober was probably pivotal to me uh, discovering it too. There are, uh... The film that um, won there recently, won the Oscar recently, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, I listened to a, a podcast and the two directors were interviewed. Ooh. And one of the directors said that the reason the film is the way it is, is because he um, is ADHD. Oh. And now I find found that out after I watched the film. So I want to go back now and see, you know, what I, what he was talking about, because to to me, it was just so, there was so much information being thrown at you. It was like, like literally the title suggests like, but, it, but the idea of that, that was the reason he wrote it and he wanted people to see maybe some part of his mind and some aspect of his mind to see. And that, that's, I mean, that's amazing what to, what artists can do with, yeah. with, with these things. And, and I, I think it's like important for us, you know, for people who, who may not suffer with ADHD or may not by, have been diagnosed with, with autism and stuff to see that from the perspective of an artist, like they can put it on screen or put it in a book. I think that's yeah. pretty amazing. Definitely. And, um, it, it's like your brain or life. Well, your brain is on fast forward times mm. 10 all the time. Yeah, that, that's what the film... On the outside, you might just be staring into space, but inside... it's, it's Yeah, it's, that's what the film felt like at times. But uh, So could you tell us, Sophie, then, when you first became aware of uh, mental health? Yeah, sure. So I, oh, you always hear like about mental health and things like that. But I guess first for me personally, back in 2013, I had a panic attack and I, I had stupidly no idea what a panic attack was in my head it was you know people breathing into paper bags and whatever like can't breathe and things and that is what happened to me but um I didn't know that that's what it was at the time so I was driving in my car I stopped at some traffic lights I can see it now it's at a crossroads in Bristol red traffic lights came on and had this overwhelming urge to get the hell out of the car and something was really wrong with my body my heart was pounding out of my chest my I couldn't see I felt really sweaty and hot and um, I thought I was going to die, to be honest. And then after that, it was happening all the time, especially at traffic lights, especially in the car. Mm. If I was, I would be on the motorway and get, again, be in the fast lane and get this overwhelming urge. I need to get out of the car. Something's going wrong. It was horrible. because <laughs> Then I'd be scared to go on the motorway yeah. and then scared to stop at traffic lights. And it just builds up. Or it would happen at really insignificant, um, oh, sorry, inconvenient times, like at work. I'd be sitting at my desk at work and get it again this like I'm gonna have a heart attack at the desk and have to walk away but I didn't know it was a panic attack I thought I genuinely thought I have got a brain tumor because I kept getting these head I couldn't see so I thought I either have a brain tumor or I was going to have a heart attack soon or a stroke I thought something must be going wrong that I'm going to die soon and that's what's happening um it got so bad that I eventually moved home so I left Bristol and moved back home and um my parents made me go see the doctor and when I walked in and I said to her, so basically I keep thinking I'm going to die soon. I'm going to have a heart attack. My heart's pounding out my chest and I can't breathe. I can't see. And she was so kind and lovely. And she said to me, have you ever heard of panic disorder or panic attacks? And I was like, no, or a panic attack where you breathe into a brown paper bag. And she was like, no, they are lots of the symptoms you're describing, 
And I said, yeah, tightness in my chest and shaking and all this stuff. And she said, lots of the symptoms you're describing is panic attack. And I felt very relieved that there was a name for it, mm-hmm. that it wasn't a heart attack or a brain tumor and I wasn't going to die. Um, but also like, where's this come from? Why have I got this? Um, and she referred me. And back then in 2013, so 10 years ago now, God, um, it was much easier to get face-to-face time on the mm-hmm. NHS. Um, so I was seen within sort of six weeks, face-to-face, with a CBT specialist and I saw her for three months and it changed my life um, because I got learned about my behaviors and my reactions to those behaviors and to kind of how to manage them and, and keep things under control. Um, and then after that, I, I very rarely have had a panic attack since, but that's when I first, sorry, really long answer there, but that's when I first became aware of mental health and that yeah. actually, oh my God, physical symptoms happen because of what's going on in my brain. Yeah, no, I, it, the, 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 the panic attack thing is certainly something that I've experienced and, and you know, I can kind of echo the idea now. It's Obviously, it's the HSC over here. So when I went in, yeah. it, it took a little while to see someone, but, you know, I went to CBT as well and it was yeah. so, like, it was incredible. Um, the best therapy I've had and I've had other kinds since then and before then and stuff, but that that was like you said, it's kind of give you an, um, a look inside your brain and why you are, you know, getting these panic attacks, which are, you know, terrifying um, so we're, we're going to talk in the, you mentioned you've been sober for only four years. Like what was your relationship to drink before you decided to, to get sober? Very unhealthy. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, people call themselves different things, alcoholic, addict, problem drinker, gray area drinker. I don't think labels are helpful, just mm-hmm. being, like, being completely honest with you. So I would never say I was a quote unquote alcoholic or an addict, but I definitely had a very unhealthy relationship with alcohol in that I used it to quash any feelings. So social anxiety, any any event that was coming up, I would drink before it and drink a lot before it. Um, and then that leads to you just getting used to it for everything. So every emotion, if I celebrating any form of good news we must drink Mm. um oh that was a rubbish day i must have a drink like everything i could i would use alcohol and incorporate it into the day or the activity or the holiday or whatever it was there was always a a reason to drink um so it was problematic for sure my relationship with alcohol before um, i got sober yeah that's an interesting way of looking at it really because you know labels are, are something that um I guess I've been asked about since because there's always people will say to you, I, you know, if it comes up that I don't drink or I'm in a setting where, you know, I don't. Are you an alcoholic? Yeah. And it's like, it's either one or two. It's either they ask you, did you ever drink or are you an alcoholic? Because it it, it was like, there's no middle ground possible. And like we were just talking before we we start recording, I I was heavily kind of dependent on it and, and using it as a kind of unknowingly use it, using it to get rid of anxiety and to kind of, stave off some kind of depression that I was feeling at the time and um it, it was it was kind of I I said to you before but like we went I went cold turkey <laughs> so it might be the best way how did you go about giving it up yeah so I think I came to the conclusion that um I needed to just try and not have it in my life for a while. As in every time I was drinking, something would go wrong, out of control, throwing up, blacking out, being nasty. Just something was always a drama after I drank. So I just thought, right, I'm going to have a little break. I didn't actually think I needed to be sober. I couldn't imagine, you know, going cold turkey or, you know, living without it forever. But I thought I'll just have a little break for now. So I had a little break of six weeks and then I went on holiday and I thought I won't drink on holiday. And of course I drank on holiday, um, moderated. So assumed I could moderate now, mm-hmm. uh, came home, 
got blackout drunk straight away um, and was back to partying again. And then it got to go back to those six weeks, please, where I'd given up. So I had four months break. And again, thought after four months, right, I've got this. Let's have a let's moderate again. And then really proved in those six weeks that I could not moderate at all. Mm -hmm. And my last day one, we call it in sobriety or, you know, um, is uh, was April the 22nd, 2019. I said, no more. This is crazy. It's got to stop. I'm never going to not be able to get blackout drunk. It doesn't happen every time, but eight times out of 10 is too many times. <laughs> yeah. Like, and like, I suppose the term might mean, might make sense, might uh, make sense to some people, that idea of blackout drunk, because it, the idea, like, I don't know how many times I, I, I drank to to blackout stage. There was a couple of times definitely where I kind of, you know, but there's something particularly frightening about waking up to that, you know, blackout stage. And, you know, whether you're in your bedroom or not, or wherever you turn, you end up, it's a terrifying kind of moment, really. You've drank so much that your brain, the part of your brain that makes the short-term memories doesn't work. So you will never remember what you did in that moment. And our body takes one hour to process and get rid of one unit of alcohol. And you think there's three or four in a drink sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I'm drinking three or four drinks in an hour sometimes, especially if I've just got to the night out or whatever. I might drink my bottle of Prosecco in an hour. And there's like, I don't know, eight units in that or something. So my body straight away is just shutting down everything. Um, so yeah, absolutely terrifying. So people always think as well, a blackout might mean, oh, they passed out. No, no, it's completely different. You're fully functional in a blackout. You are walking, talking, making decisions. You just don't have any idea what you're doing and you won't remember the next day. And that is terrifying. <laughs> that is, it is very terrifying. But like, can I ask then, like, because I used to have, when I was still drinking, I used to have these days where I thought, right, today I'm not going to. And yeah. I, because as we gradually go through the day, I start to think, well, maybe I will. Until this became a, a daily occurrence of, of almost fighting with myself to not drink, but then thinking, well, you know, the easiest way is to do it is just, go, you know, get a drink. It's so hard because mm. uh, we wake up hungover. We wake up feeling a bit groggy, a bit shit. We don't necessarily think it's the alcohol. We're just like tired and life's hard and whatever, but actually it's the alcohol. And you think, right, I'm not drinking tonight because I've just I've got this headache and I feel shit. The day goes on and it's coming up to 5 p.m., 6 p.m., or a beer would be nice or a wine would be nice. You've forgotten how you felt in the morning mm -hmm. because our brains do that. We forget negative emotions quicker than we do the positive ones. So it's called fading effect bias. It's so interesting. Um, so we kind of forget. And then our brain is doing that thing that it's done for 10, 15 years, that 6 p.m. is drink time. Mm -hmm. So off we go to the fridge. And sometimes it gets to the point where you're just drinking it and you're like, why am I drinking this? Yeah it's habit it's like riding a bike your brain knows how to ride a bike because you've taught it to and over the years what started off as drinking for fun drinking for social aspects then drinking because you felt pissed off then drinking because you felt sad brain is learning all the time oh okay this is what we do when we feel like this and it's got to that habit of the 6 p.m rolls around let's go and open the fridge and have a beer and your brain is just doing what it thinks it it, it needs to do and it takes some willpower and some real white knuckling in the beginning to train it to get new habits but you can do it absolutely and so so then when did you decide to to start the page sober and happy um i was looking up sober instagram accounts for some like inspiration when i was in my blackout drinking mm -hmm. phase in between the four months sober and the last day one 
And I thought, I'll start a page when I, I know it's coming. I knew it was coming, the so, but like I knew I was going to do it again because and I knew it had to be forever because I was just out of control. Um, so on like day 10, I think it was, I was decided to go to AA. I didn't know what else to do. So I was like, I'll go to AA and I'll start my page. And I think I posted on there, like, I'm going to my first AA meeting tonight. Help, like what what to expect. And people straight away message you. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to AA and I would always encourage everyone to try it. Um, I, maybe I should have gone to more meetings. I always say that, but that particular one, lovely people, so welcoming. But I just got the sense of... Um, life shit with or without the booze mm-hmm. so we may as well just not drink and I just knew because I'd had that four months sober before life is not shit without booze it's really 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 good um I'll throw myself into my Instagram and see what happens and just share my journey with the world didn't tell any of my friends or anything about this page or anything but told strangers because I feel like stranger it's easier isn't it yeah um, and then slowly slowly yeah the benefits rolled in my friends started to find out and it yeah it, it I can't go back now I'm in competition with myself I'm four yeah. years so I can't drink now I'll let everyone down <laughs> yeah but like like I wonder is that sometimes a you know good that little bit of a push because maybe uh, speaking you know for myself now that you know if I decided I was doing this podcast, for instance, you know, doing talking about mental health and stuff and didn't tell my friends and, and, and just decided well this is what I'm going to do um and then I decided, you know, 30 episodes in, I'm like, I'm a bit sick of it and all that. But I keep in my head, well, people listen to it and they rely on it. So, yeah. you know, I think it's okay to say that, like, that other people rely on you to do it, so I'm going to stick with it. And I set it up for me to keep mm-hmm. me accountable. And within a year, I had a, a few thousand followers. And I was like, whoa. And people were really engaging with it. And then they started asking me for advice. And I started getting DMs about it. And I loved helping people. Um, still to this day, if someone DMs me, I will reply to you. Like, I really hope I've replied to everyone who's ever DM me. And if I haven't, I'm sorry, but I do genuinely reply to everyone if I can, because I, I know what it feels like to feel lonely and think, shit, is this my only option? Not drinking anymore. Um, and it is scary at first, but it's also really great once you push through. But yeah, so uh, eventually now I'm just in this place where I can't let my followers down and I wouldn't. I don't want to. I cannot imagine going on there and going, guys, I drank last night. Oh yeah. no, like back to day one. Just no way. And that's good for me, like you say. It's yeah. Good. I think what's great about the page as well, and uh, you know, that it's, that it's busy, that it's not, you know what I mean? You, you're constantly posting kind of encouraging words, but also kind of educational stuff. And that, that's hugely important. It's, it's one thing to kind of, uh, for, for some people who are struggling to kind of just say, well, I'll just give it up and, and, you know, see how it goes. But to be able to access, you know, someone like yourself to, uh, read about you direct someone towards articles and stuff to be able to read about that stuff is is just as important as the actual just saying I'm going to give up even if you're not ready to give up I just mm-hmm. always encourage everyone to learn about what alcohol actually does to you because we're sold a lie through the government and adverts and marketing it is poisonous it does hurt and affect every area of your body mental health but physically as well you you have to drink it so it has to hit every area of your you know, digestive tract and every organ is affected by the alcohol, especially the poor liver and the stomach. Your stomach lining gets, you know, ripped away every time you drink. Um, so I always, even if you're not ready to give up, that's absolutely fine. But you're here, you're learning, you're on my page. Great. Good for you. Look at what it does to you. And at the same time, it's really great too. So here's all the positive stuff. And, you know, because it can feel lonely it can feel depressing when you first think this is going to be my life now you think you're going to be no fun ever again yeah but that's a lie it's not true so that's what my page is there to show you as well 
Um, you'd also have a, a, a women's group, a support group. Um, how did that come about? Again, proper ADHD moment. In September last year, I came, I had a six month um, break off Instagram and I came back in September and I thought, I've got to do something bigger with this now mm. because I'm just doing the same thing, regurgitating content and talking to people in my DMs, love that. But then they disappear and I don't hear back from them. I don't know how they've got on with their journey. So I know I'll set up a group for Sober October and we'll do it all together and I'll set some tasks that help me in early sobriety and I'll go live in the group every week and encourage them and we'll just do Sober October together. It'll be a pound a day, so £31 for the month, but you'll do Sober October if you if you listen to the lives and you do the work. I think I had like 30 people up for it and um, two weeks in, I just loved it so much. It felt like this is my calling is to help people and yeah, two weeks in, I said, do you want me to keep this going past October? And they said, yeah, please. So I kept it going um, while I figured out like costs and what I was going to do and how things would go. November was free for everyone who was in there from October. And um, it's now it's £15 a month. You can join any time and you can leave any time and cancel any time. But I go live once a week on a different topic to do with drinking so like a couple of weeks ago it was drinking and trauma mm-hmm. on live on like the pink cloud anxiety um drinking and the digestive system drinking and your brain drinking and sleep I, I research all the topics go live once a week and then also hold a weekly group zoom for anyone for like 45 minutes on a sunday you can come in you can check in how's it going what's triggering you what's been a success all that kind of stuff and i had a couple of men in there at the beginning. They they left because it felt women's only. And actually, yeah. then that's what I wanted it to be because we can talk about the menopause and periods mm-hmm. and sex and there's no, like, man watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, that just snowballed out of a little dream. I thought, yeah, let's do Sober October. It's kept going and I'm so proud of it. I think there's 55 members now. I think it's – yeah, that's what I mean about, you know – one thing is the Instagram and stuff like that, where you do feel connected with people, especially if you've, you know, spoken through DMs. But to have like a group of support, um, something that I guess there was certain things around uh, when I was given up. But, you know, it was a long time ago now. So it's 2009 and uh, it, it's not the same. But to be able to have someone like yourself who's who because it's what, you know, the group chat is great. I mean, the Zoom and the Sunday and stuff, but to be able to read articles, because I think our education around alcohol is very poor and like you mentioned the government aren't going to help us with it really you know because it's not in their best interest really and and it's not in other people's best interest but um and and for some someone like me even sophie to kind of figure out like where do i go the fact that there's a group there to say well sophie's gonna sophie probably looked after that already so i can go find it i think that's very encouraging yeah, exactly. I always, like I say, will res- and they, they can request topics as well if they mm-hmm. want me to go live on something. Tell me and I'll go research it and I'll do a 40 minute live on it. And hopefully you learn and feel encouraged along the way. And the the feedback's great. But same on my Instagram, you know, I don't um, people can DM me and ask me questions and things as well. And I'll always, like I say, always reply. But it's something I wish I'd had when I got sober four years ago. I was in free groups, which were great, but some of them had like 20,000 people in there or 30,000 people mm. in there. And I just thought, oh my God, like, where's, where's my message going? And like, who's going to see it and who's watching? Um, didn't always feel as safe, maybe. Um, but still needed them at the time and absolutely did utilize them. Um, and books as well. I read a lot of Quit Lit, which made me feel less alone. But have it, I, I thought this would be something I would have loved when I got sober, just only women and just able to be like, guys, help. 
I want to drink tonight. And then everyone jumps in and it's like, don't do it. I'm mm-hmm. at day 80 and it's amazing. Or I'm at day 30 and it it's stopped people drinking. And that is like, I just, if I'll help one person, then my job's done. And hopefully I'm helping them more than one. Yeah, for sure. So what, like, were you someone who was confident because uh, obviously to do something like this, you have to, there has to be a, a little bit of confidence involved because, you know, you're speaking in front of people and stuff. Were you someone that was confident beforehand or was this learned later? This is a really interesting question, actually, because my friend said to me the other day, how did your life go? You're so brave doing them. And yeah. I said, am I? But actually it's because I love it and I'm passionate mm-hmm. about it. And again, maybe I am autistic and this is my special interest. So I'm happy to talk about it. Like to you right now, anyone listening might be like, wow, she's really confident, but I'm not sometimes. And I'm at school and things. If I had to present or mm-hmm. if I had to talk out loud in the class, I was a wreck and I could get really worked up about stuff like that the night before or the day of and be a complete crumbling mess. Um, but I think because I love this and I know how good alcohol free life is and I know how good sobriety feels I'm more than happy to hammer it home to anyone and talk about it all day long um by day I am a recruiter so I'm always talking to people about their about their careers what they want and asking questions and probing and things so I guess again like I can put different masks on to to do that so whether it's confidence or I don't know what but yeah I guess I am confident (laughs) when it comes to sobriety but Actually, I'm quite introverted and I like my downtime and I like to be left alone as well. <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very much the same. But I think, yeah, I think it's a mixture of confidence and passion because I can tell when, you know, we can all tell when someone's passionate about a subject as well. There was something really interesting you posted up the other day and it was to do with um, uh, this, I guess, the the cultural, we like I'm obviously from Ireland, you're from, uh, from England and, and there's a cultural drinking, you know, uh, aspect to our to our countries and um the social aspect of quitting drinking, because I think a lot of people worry about that, that they may lose uh, their friends or, um, you know, whoever it might be. Yeah. People get given a really hard time from friends and family when they say, I'm going to give up the booze. Oh, don't be so stupid. You're not that bad. You're really fun. Da, 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 da. But people yeah. are, that's their projecting themselves onto you because they don't want to lose their drinking buddy. They don't want to lose the person who entertains them on the night out and buys all their drinks. Um, but deep, deep down, like I always say to people who you don't have to go into the weeds of it with with your best friends, but you could just say, I'm really struggling with my mental health right now. I'm going to have a break from alcohol. Please, can we not drink at the brunch next weekend? Or I'm not going to drink at the brunch next weekend. Please don't encourage me to because mm-hmm. I'm really trying to have a break. And a real true friend will not encourage you to do that. And I was very lucky. My best friend's really were like good for you mate go for it and probably a little relieved as well um because I was always the one who was like the instigator and or the mess on the night out um causing trouble so um my real real friends were but other friends that I thought were friends you know like work colleagues and things oh what the hell what are you an alcoholic or something Mm. or why are you giving up don't be so stupid and that you have to just be really strong in your resolve and know that you are doing this for you and no one else we are inherently people pleasers, big drinkers, because we are the entertainers and we feel mm-hmm. like it's our responsibility. So many people say, oh, sorry, I'm not drinking at the moment. What are you sorry about? Yeah. Like, there's nothing to be sorry about, but it's yeah. just so ingrained in our culture and so socially accepted to get blackout drunk and binge drink that, yeah, people can have really horrible reactions at first. You just have to remove yourself from it and think this is about them, not me. Mm-hmm. I'm doing this for me. I uh, had the experience. It was well. It was slightly different because of the, the, the you know, I, like I said, to you, I had a breakdown like a few days after I gave up alcohol, and I kind of lost that group of friends that I'd been spending a lot of time with because 
we were we were just spending time in the pub as friends. There was no kind of we never like met up outside of the pub. It was just that's that was where we met up and that was it. And you know we meet up in people's houses and drink some cans and stuff like that. But it it wasn't like party friends. Yeah, party friends. And and like when when I kind of came out of myself then again after some therapy and stuff like that. It wouldn't have suited. I'd still, obviously, if I saw them, I'd still chat with them and all that. But it just wouldn't have suited where I was kind of going with it. And um, I, I wouldn't have been able to kind of start going into pubs and that. When I go back into pubs now, though, and it, it, it's kind of on special occasions, you know, Christmas parties and stuff at work. Um, I I don't find it difficult anymore to kind of sit with people. Some yeah. other people were drinking. How did you find it to begin with to sit around people who were, who were drinking? Yeah, sure. So my last day one like four weeks after it I I had a, a Hindu in Valencia for my best friend that I had organized because I was a bridesmaid and I told myself oh god if I drink on this then I will just drink again so I have to get through this so it is really hard socializing and going to the pub in the, in the beginning if you feel confident enough to do it I would say go for it and try but make sure you have your car keys with you and get out if you feel mm-hmm. triggered just to, just say I've got to go sorry or something just get out if you're feeling triggered your sobriety comes first but with so, so sober socializing at first, just remember, this is what I would say to everyone, it's in your head more, the, the problem is in your head more than the actual event. Like will be, it won't be that awful when you're there because you can just leave. The first hour is always the worst. That first bit when you arrive and everyone's getting their first drink and you feel like a bit pissed off and a bit of a loser for not being able to, to drink too. Although luckily there's lots of alcohol free alternatives. Yes. Um, but when you when you first get there, that can feel really hard. But the minute they get to drink two or three, I'm suddenly smug as fuck, thinking you guys are going to feel like shit later. Yeah. I'm going home soon to get a McDonald's and a cup of tea. Yeah. Have, a, have a great night all. And I still went and socialised. I saw my mates. They're all going to be fucking hanging tomorrow. And I'm I'm happy as anything. Waking up in my own bed, safe, and you know all good. So. If people can push past, like I say, that first hour, that mm-hmm. is really difficult and really triggering. Don't press the fuck it button. Just stay with it and remember the first hour is the worst. The first hour is the worst. And then if it doesn't improve, get out, leave. But yeah. you, sh- you should soon realize, oh, no, I'm glad I'm not drinking right now. This is, Ex- I'm going to go home. Safe. Yeah, I, I always had the, this in mind of when I go out that 11 o'clock is the time when I'm going to leave. And um, I'm sure you heard, you've heard of an, what the, an Irish goodbye is. Um, essentially, you just don't tell anyone and you just leave. Go. Yeah. And that's the like my my best friends and my, you know, the people who I hang around the most with in, in my workplace, they know that 11 o'clock I'm gone because I start. It's funny sort of, because what I say is like I start to see then why I'm glad I don't drink Yeah, because it starts to get all loud and messy and it just starts to fall apart. The conversations just get so boring as well. Yeah. Like, it's, and it reinforces that yeah. you made the right decision. I had one of my lovely group members had a bottomless brunch to go to a couple of weeks ago. She just turned six months sober and she was like, oh God, I'm triggered. I might drink at the brunch today. And I said the same thing I just said then, give it an hour. Mm. You you wait and you you will not once you see what happens. And lo and behold, oh God, yeah, the conversations were boring and repetitive and so on and so forth. And she did amazing. She didn't drink. Because it is, it's, it's, it's the idea of it in your head is more triggering than the actual event when you're there and you get there and you think, oh no, alcohol won't bring anything to this actually. Yeah. I thought I was going to drink on my Hindu. My Hindu was eight weeks before my year. And I thought I'm going to drink on that because it's my Hindu. I have yeah. to. 
And then when I got there, I was like, I'm not drinking on this. Like, hell no, I'm going to do it and get my year. And yeah. I didn't. And it, you get stronger as you go on. Yeah, there's a, there's a slight. I noticed this the other day because we I knew this conversation was was coming up. And I was watching, I'm not bringing this up just because it's Ireland, England, but Ireland were playing England in the rugby. If people weren't watching the other day, but what, what I found interesting, it's always sponsored by Guinness and you always see the Guinness signs are all, all around the pitch. And in the middle of the pitch, there's always that painted Guinness sign yeah. and stuff. But the, the one that was on the other day was zero, yeah. 0.0%. Yeah. And I, I was watching with a friend and I, I kind of turned around and said, that's, I didn't notice until about 15 minutes in or something. It's like, that's, I've never seen that before. So. Yeah. The shift that Guinness is doing, Guinness is obviously a company that doesn't really need to advertise its no. drink around the world, you know. But the fact that it's gone to that 0.0%, it does, it's it's great yeah, that Guinness are putting that forward. Yeah, for sure. And um, I think, it, well, I know the, the world, the, the football was hosting Qatar, which is alcohol free mm-hmm. anyway, but it was all zero, like Bud yeah. Zero, whatever it was around the stadium. But no, 100%. Um, they were giving out free Guinness Zeros at Paddington train station the other week. I was in London oh. and they had a big crate of them and they were giving them out for free, just the zero one. And I was like, yes, because it just gets people and it does taste really good. I don't know if you've had the Guinness Zero, but spot on. Like, um, yeah, I've, I've had the Heineken one and it's actually quite nice. Oh, I love the Heineken yeah. one. Yeah, the Guinness zeros just taste like Guinness, but without yeah. the hangover, headache, and horrible behaviour. So, yeah, the fact it's actively encouraged now and subtly there on, like you say, on the on the board and on the screens is amazing. And that 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 idea as well, because you mentioned it, when you do go into a pub and maybe you feel, oh, look, if I order a a Coke and you know I might feel a bit left out or something, there is, and I've done it before, gone in and grabbed an Erdinger, the zero percent alcohol one, and it does it. Even if that makes you feel a little, yeah, yeah. Even if it makes you a little bit more at ease with the kind of, with the surroundings you're in and and just because it looks like a beer, well, just like, it's, it's like that thing, you know, when you are starting out drinking for the first time and you, you do find something that you like. And it's the same as those, uh, you know, there's 0% gin. I saw an ad on the TV the other day. There's pretty much everything with 0% now. Yeah. And. Like you save so much money. <laughs> so who gives a shit if you spend five pounds on a pint of alcohol free beer? Mm. Cause you're not going to drink 10 of them like you would with alcohol. So it doesn't matter. Like some people say, Oh, but the alcohol free stuff's so expensive. Yeah, but they have to still make it like at tank, Tanqueray zero is actually more expensive to produce than Tanqueray because they're really? taking the alcohol out of it. So they're removing right. it. It's another whole other um, process. So, um, I don't give a shit paying 13 pounds for a bottle of Tanqueray zero because I get to have a gin and tonic at Christmas time. And none of the trouble. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I always say to people, like, look at the bigger picture there because you're going to save so much money. Spend £10 on a fancy mocktail in a restaurant because you're not buying a £40 bottle of wine. Yeah, and you're not feeling absolutely horrendous afterwards. Um, so how do you feel about um, alcohol now? Like, you know, being being removed from it for, for almost four years, like you said. Yeah, I mean, like my other half still drinks. He's a very moderate drinker, can take or leave it. So only really drinks on nights out, never drinks in the house. My family all drink moderately, like when we have go out for dinners and things. My friends all drink. Again, moderately, I've really realised, oh, wow, I I did take it quite hard. Mm. Um, But it doesn't bother me. People can do what they want. If they want my help and or they want my advice, come and talk to me and I'll talk to you about alcohol all day long. But I'm not angry at drinkers. People can do what the hell they want. Um, If they drink a bottle of gin every day and have no repercussions, good for them. That's absolutely fine. I I would never do that because, again, I know how it makes me feel inside, but every, each to their own. Um, But, yeah, I, I, it really doesn't bother me at all. On my Hindu, everyone was drinking, and I was actively encouraging down it, down it, because I've still got that person in me. I'm just <laughs> not going to be downing it myself. 
yeah, I'd be, I, I think, I think I'd probably be the same. But so then, like with with you know with kids and stuff, what is the the message that you'd like to give? Because obviously, you said your 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 partner's a moderate drinker, so it's not like you know they're going to see any kind of the dark side of alcohol. But would you like to kind of put the point across of what you will you tell them? I suppose of what you've been through. Yeah, well, I mean, it's out there on the internet. Yeah. So- like they probably maybe see at some point and I hope it, I don't know what how it will go down um if they'd be embarrassed or what oh no I was embarrassed uh, you know, everyone's embarrassed with their parents when they're yeah. teachers or whatever but at the moment they're so little um but no I'm not ashamed of it or anything it would be like mm. yeah do you know what it makes you feel like shit so if you want to drink that's absolutely fine go for it but I'm here for you when you're hungover and want to talk about it because it it doesn't it doesn't you know work long term I would always encourage them to do what they want. Um, but for example, if my 15 year old, not that I have a 15 year old yet, but she will be one day said to me, can you buy me alcohol? I'll say, no, mm-hmm. I'm not going to buy you alcohol because you're under 18. Um, but I'm not stupid in that. you probably will drink it somewhere. Just let me know how you get on. And if you want to yeah. talk about it after, um, so I'll keep it very open with them, but they're going to do what they, they want at the end of the day. This is uh this is very true. I, 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 uh, they'll get like, when I'm sure it was the same for you, Sophie, when you're growing up, you just get it. Like there's there's many ways to get alcohol. Like when you're when you're a teenager, it's it's easy. There's always someone's mum who's happy for you to drink from yeah. her house. Um, I mean, like my mum would buy me the five percent stuff, like WKDs mm-hmm. and Bonifaces, never spirits or anything like that. But we still all drank them. Like if we all pull together and bring all our alcohol, then you know. But I think kids these days aren't drinking as much. Really. Yeah, so I hear I've got ladies in my group with teenagers and they're not into it. Well, that's encouraging. Yeah, Um, the kind of binge drinking, like lad mentalities may be Mm. not so cool anymore. And I'm hoping that it will be the new smoking, you know long term yeah I, I remember like and you, i don't know if you're as old as me sophie but i, I did the, the in the 90s the the, the binge drinking lad culture if you said was so prevalent and any any band that you liked or looked up to was were just like oasis were kind of the main one of i, I guess in my age but but they were just getting drunk and having a good time and it just looked great yeah so i was in the 90s is when i was like uh, i was 1990 so i'm 33 yeah. In the 90s, I saw the Ladette culture evolve. And then as a teenager, I saw like Geordie Shaw and Made in Chelsea. And the only way is this, and all these people just getting drunk on TV and normalizing it for me as well. So it's normal to just go out and get wasted with your friends and do X, Y, Z. Um, But nowadays, I just don't think, like, I feel like a Geordie Shaw, if it's still going, would never be what it is now. Like, where. So it was so raw in the early days. And that's when I was like 18. So I was watching it and telling myself, oh, this is okay. Look at them. They're all doing it too. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it would happen anymore. Which, yeah, well, hopefully, no, uh, it doesn't. But what would you say that the main benefit, and this is a kind of a hard question I answer, I guess, because there's a lot of benefits to uh, to being sober. What would you think of the main benefit is? So the main benefit for me, long term, really, is how calm and manageable life is Mm -hmm. life no matter what's thrown at me my son's diagnosis that wasn't an easy thing to go through waiting lists fighting for support for him I could never have done it if I if I was drinking and I still think to this day if I was drinking would I even believe he was autistic or would I be like he's fine he's just a bit behind like you know and I've fought every corner for him to get him the support he needs and I wouldn't have done that if I was drinker so how manageable life is now it's very calm there's no chaos there's no drama 
if there is, I'm just hearing about it because it's happening to a third party. Mm. I myself, I'm just very calm and yeah, like I say, manageable. And then you've got all the other benefits and I can just reel them off. My skin's better. My mental yeah. health's better. My relationships are better. I've saved money. I've managed to buy a nice house. That's something I was living paycheck to paycheck before. Like there's so many benefits. It's unbelievable. Uh, I agree. And and it's, it's a, it's a strange one to think about now that, you know, I was so, um, I was always thinking about, you know, always thinking about will I drink, will I not drink. And I, I think I, I decided, well, I didn't say to you, I, I give up cigarettes on the same day as I give up alcohol. So I mean, you're going to have a mental breakdown after that. It's just, you know, you can't not. But what happened was I was going through so much kind of turmoil and, you know, anxiety stuff that I didn't really think so much about the drink and alcohol till, or sorry, the cigarettes and alcohol till down the road. Yeah. But what's great now is that it it's after a few years, it started to leave this whole space in my mind that I could fill with things that were actually enjoyable, things that were positive for me, like music and films and all, all, all those kind of things, you know, that were you get probably get pushed away a little bit. Yeah, the passions. Yeah, exactly. And that's you know, a big benefit. It's time. Yeah. You get yeah. time back. You waste so much time thinking about drinking. Am I going to drink tonight? Am I not? How far will I take it? Then you drink that night. You don't have time to watch a film or you do, but you fall asleep. Yeah. You get time back. And you almost, I always say this, I don't know if you found this, you become who you were before you ever started drinking. Mm-hmm. Like for me, when I first gave up, I started coloring in. I bought coloring in books and yeah. felt it ends and I used to color in on an evening and it felt lovely. It switched my brain off without booze. And it was just really simple, nice activity. I started to read again. I used to read yeah. all the time as a kid. And now I read like, I read 35 books last year. When I was a drinker, I read one a year by yeah. the pool, drunk. Like it, you, you become who you were before and the real you, that was maybe going to come through if you hadn't ever drank throughout your teenage years and your twenties shines. Absolutely. I agree. So that always leads to the question I ask, uh, uh, it leads perfectly to it really. What do you like to do in your spare time? So again, something that the old me would never, ever, ever have considered. I run, I love to run. Me too. And I hate exercise. Well, I don't hate it now, but I hated it. That's the story I told myself. Yeah. I'm shit. I'm fat. I'm overweight. Mm. I'm not going to run. No way. And on my year sober, I got tagged in that like run five, donate five. Yeah. Thing. And I was like, I can't run 5k, but I want to do this. And I wanted to put the selfie up on, um, you know, yeah. Instagram, run five thing. And I ran 5k and it was really bloody hard. It took me over an hour and I thought that's embarrassing. I want to get that down. And I got addicted to it. I started running 5k the same route all the time until I got it to sub 30. And then I was like, I'm done with that route now. It's this proper ADHD brain scene. Um, and I was like, I'm done with that route now. So then I just started running different distances. I've only ever, the longest, I'm not like a marathon runner or anything. The longest I've done is like 11K. But that is one thing that, again, the old me never, ever would have even considered. So running, I love the, I've got a Peloton. Very lucky to have a Peloton. Again, something I would never have been able to afford if I was drinking. But you have so much savings because you're not blasting it out on alcohol in the pubs and at home all the time. Um, So I love the cycling. And my kids, they take up all my time. So, of course. Yeah. That's well, fair. I I want to I want to ask as well. Just be, well, it's funny we say you're someone who didn't like exercise, but now you've got a peloton and you're running and everything. It's it's amazing. Um, what like high? Yeah, natural. it's it's great. And so, what what, what kind of uh, uh, books do you like to read? So a whole mixture. I love memoirs, right. not right. just quotes, actual memoirs. Um, really, really love hearing different people's stories. They don't have to be celebrities, just anyone's. Um, and any fiction really that's not I don't like sci-fi or anything oh. like. 
afraid. I don't know if you do. But no, don't. I don't. Mysteries, detectives, thrillers, but yeah, any any stories really that are good and gripping. And that's there was a good Irish book I read called The Glorious Heresies. I don't know if you've read oh, that. Oh, I had her on the show. Yeah, I had it amazingly. Yeah, um, she was brilliant. Not, by the way, she not. yeah, the um, whole three books in about a week because I just loved it so much. Uh, her, do you know? Um, I think I might have messed, kind of muddled this up a little bit, but I'm sure I read The Glorious Heresies first before I spoke to her. But then I actually read the other two before I got to actually, you know, interview her. And um, I had built it, like, because you read, yeah, I really love them, obviously, but I yeah. built it up in my mind that, like, I was talking to this person I really admired, this great writer. And I don't know why, but I thought it was going to be really nervous and stuff. But as soon as she started talking, I just relaxed. She was yeah. so nice. I just oh, kind of did. got to chill out and stuff. But um, that's what's really wonderful again like you said like this wouldn't this podcast wouldn't be happening if I didn't give up alcohol and I've got to talk to some incredibly nice people and people like yourself who are trying to uh, put forward a positive message and um, it's 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 very rewarding for me and you know and uh, it's yet another episode where I've had a really lovely chat with someone who's very caring. Thank you and same to you it's been really nice to meet you and you think as well whenever you were in the grips of alcohol and someone said to you, you're going to run a podcast one day and mm-hmm. thousands of people are going to listen to it and comment on it and follow you. You'd be like, no way. I can't, <laughs> I can't do that. Alcohol, removing alcohol, you can do anything. That's yeah. what I tell people. You can literally do anything. I feel like I can do anything. Absolutely. Like that before. Sophie, where can people find you? So on Instagram, at sober underscore and underscore happy and on facebook if you want to join my facebook group it's the sober and happy support group and you just fill out the questions and wait for an email from me brilliant sophie would you mind sticking with me for one minute i'll close this out take a quick photo and we'll be on our way yeah sure thank you so much uh i just also want to thank the the usual suspects uh john francis for doing all the tech side uh, of stuff for me uh, my mum, my dad, my granddad, Jordan Calvin, for the usual reasons. And we're on YouTube. Subscribe if you would. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. All the podcast platforms that are worth being on, I guess. And thanks to everyone for, for tuning in today. And once again, Sophie, thank you so much. No worries. Thank you. Brilliant. And everyone else, uh, we'll uh, chat to you next week. Take care. Bye.